Welcome to the Keep Rising Podcast, the show that helps you grow by helping you think clearly, feel deeply, and do more of what matters. I'm your host, Kenny Lang. Today, we're going to be talking about detoxing your body. This came out of a series at my home church, New Covenant Church here in Tyler, Texas. And we were talking about detoxing your spirit, your soul, and your body. I had the honor of getting to teach one of those lessons during our Wednesday night services. In it, I address how trauma affects every person differently, but every person has suffered some amount of it during their lifetime. What is less common is people acknowledging their trauma in their bodies, especially if that trauma was emotional, mental, or even spiritual. During the teaching, I covered the following three practices to detox our bodies to help you listen, identify, and breathe. I think you're really gonna like it. I also have some reflective questions at the end, so stay tuned to those to put this into practice and grow as you listen. I hope you enjoy it, and let's get into the teaching. All right, everybody, we're going to go ahead and get started with uh, this evening. If you do not know, my name is Kenny Lang, and uh, I'm the Director of Innovation and Growth here at the church. I also help lead the Connection team. So all of our awesome greeters, ushers, baristas, welcome guests, slash guests, central people. Oh, good. The puckets are here. Now church can start. Um but uh, we have been in a one-off Wednesday night series called Detox. So Chris did the first two, talked about detoxing our spirit. And then last week we talked about detoxing our soul, you know, mind, will, emotions. Those four, we talked about those four areas that can ensnare us and trip us up. And Father Art in Heaven, Jonathan Puckett is in the building Good. Man, I was waiting for the Holy Spirit to come in, and now he's here. Thank you. You're a good friend. (laughs) Um, And so my uh, job is to teach on the body. Now, this series is something that we got from um, a church that uh, had made some curriculum available every now and then. Chris and I are looking through different things, and we're like, oh, well, that's kind of a cool curriculum. They, they did some interesting things, and we like their topic. We like their idea. Is that making you nervous? You know what? I'm going to... You're a good man. He hopes to inherit it when I pass away, so... <laughs> He's probably going to dress up. It's going to be a nice Jacob situation, so... Is that a deep cut Bible joke? Okay, sorry. Um, Trade it for a cup of soup. But there's a few people that are like, ha, I get it. And the rest of you are like, I'm going to have to Google that when I get home. What was he talking about? Um, But uh, I'm excited to talk about the body because when I looked through the curriculum, not that it was bad or wrong or anything like that, uh, it just went in a direction I thought it would go in. And two, it included the word debauchery, and I didn't really feel like we're in the 1800s, so we may not be using such a word. Here, I want to introduce kind of a big high-level idea, and then we're going to pray, and then we'll, we'll get into this. But 
the, the big idea that they wanted to, to talk about is, is a lot of those sin management things. And while I, I believe let's talk about sin, let's talk about the sin so that so easily besets us, which is different for each of us, and those, those pits, those snares, those traps. Um, and I'll mention some of them, but it's not where we're going to focus our time. Because um, one, some things I've just been walking through in relation to what the, the Bible says, and also just my times with the Father and other brothers and sisters in Christ learning about how um, our bodies really are connected to our experience of the Father in, in heaven here on earth. Um, so before we get too much further in, I'd like to get a prayer, set the tone, and then let's get into it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Lord, uh, we, we thank you for all the blessings, Lord, that you've poured out on us. We thank you that you are a, a gracious and giving Father and that we get to be your children. I thank you that your heart is for us and not against us and that you have good things in store for us. Lord, I pray over every heart and mind and ear and, and the words that we're going to speak tonight, Lord, that you would be in and amongst them. Lord, that you would flow through us honestly and, and with authenticity and with a sincerity, Father. I pray that we would drop the armor, the masks that we all hold up, Lord, and that we would be real and uh, truthful with each other, that we would build one another up as we share our lives with one another. Lord, uh, I pray that you would move me and the things I want to accomplish out of the way and that your will would be done. And all God's people said, Amen. Awesome. So as I was saying, the, the curriculum went in a direction that I think is important to note, but not where we'll sit. Um, basically, uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Um, let's, let's look out for those. So if, if we can knock that out in like 30 seconds, 30 to 60 seconds, I think we'll be good and we can all move on. Because if you're thinking the body, you're like, we get it, Kenny, like no sex before or outside of the bounds of marriage. Uh, let us not be, you know, uh, drunk and taken in with drugs and these other things that are sins against our mortal bodies. Your body's a temple those things that if you've been around church or a Bible or been on Instagram and seen great quotes on coffee mugs that are set out with the Bible, because that's the most holy you can ever be, <laughs> is to have the coffee and the Bible open. Yeah. Bonus points if you highlight in multiple colors, because that means you've gotten a bigger house in heaven. So um, I think those things are important to talk about, but what's become more and more clear to me um, is that those things are all symptoms of root issues. They're symptoms because they're the ways in which we attempt to uh, numb and narcotize ourselves from the pain and the trauma that we're experiencing. Our bodies are part of this whole, this is why we're talking about three things. And I know that there are some pastors, preachers, teachers, evangelists, those people that would say, well, this is just my, my flesh suit that I'm wearing here, and it's not really me, and I'm at war with this. Fine, but I'm going to respectfully disagree. I believe that our human bodies are a part of our experience of heaven on earth and of connecting with the Father. 
If it's so, un, if the body, the physical body is so unimportant, then why did Jesus come to earth in the flesh and walk amongst us for 33 and a half years? If it's unimportant, Jesus doesn't have to do anything he doesn't want to. Nobody made him. God wasn't like, boy, better get down there. Don't you cry. Give you something to cry about. Like, I'm pretty sure that conversation was not happening in heaven. And he was like, oh, oh, all right, I guess I can get down to Jerusalem, cuddle up with some sheep, you know, get lost, you know, before we had Amber Alerts, like, do all that thing. I still think it's amazing. He's like, your kid's missing for three. It's not like they had a ton of kids. Like, if I, if one of our kids goes missing, we've got a few of them, we might miss one. If you've got one kid, like, have a tracker on them or something. I don't know. Like, I guess a carrier pigeon back in those days. So, or homing pigeon. There you go. Sorry, I didn't get my pigeons right. Um, that's X number one against Kenny for this message. But he came down in the flesh. And so... The way I tend to think about it, and I think I have some markers here, and I've drawn this out before, but it's the way in which I tend to think about how we are designed um, from the inside out. So the first thing we talked about the first week was what? The spirit, right? It's this incorruptible seed. It's, it's the indwelling you know, manifestation of Christ in us. This is the best part of us. And when we are living from that place, beautiful anointed things happen here on earth. Amen. So after that, this next layer, and we're, uh, we have the soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions, right? This last place is our body. Now, the way in which the spirit works is from the inside out. However, the way in which we experience the world is from the outside in. Your body is the first thing. Your your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your nose, the the feelings that well up inside. Like this body part is the first thing to interact with absolutely everything that we experience, that we know, that we discern, that we interact with it makes its way down into our mind, will, and emotions. Typically emotions, will, and then our mind, and then spirit. The trick for us is, and detoxing is, is not running squiggly lines, not staying in our soul, not staying in our bodies, right? Because when we stay in our bodies, that's when we give, we give in to all of the, the sexual immorality, when we get into all those things. But a lot of that is fueled by our soul, by our mind, will, and emotions. And it's because we have so much junk right here that it's blocking the ability for us to live from the inside out. So detoxing is really opening up this channel so that more and more we're going this way instead of here. Still got to have that communication coming down but it has to make it to the spirit in order to be properly processed and then responded to. I don't know about y'all. I deal with anger. I, I am a fiery person by nature, and there is nothing wrong with anger. If somebody says otherwise, I will punch them in the throat. Now, <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with anger. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. 
there are things that tick me off. Things like the, the situation that so often we hear from our foster children. I hear those things and my heart is broken, but I am angry that a four-year-old, a five-year-old, a six-year-old would be put in a position to protect their mother or their father from the other mother or father who is so far gone, so traumatized that they are now inflicting bodily, emotional, mental harm on their other parent. That's not their place. But yet that's happening. And it has happened at currently to 400,000 kids under the age of 18 in the United States alone, 30,000 in the state of Texas. Those are the things that, that that's happening. That's anger. That's all these things. And, in, and so when I get angry about those things, it drives me to say, yes, I will take these kids in at 2.30 in the morning. Yes, I will rearrange the most frustrating uh, <laughs> bunk bed and call people last minute like, hey, man, friend, how are you doing? Hey, I'm just tricking you to get, get you over here to do some work, all right? Um, I need you to come over and do this. It will make me so angry that I there's nothing I won't do to ensure that a child has a safe space to be, to live. And those things make me angry. Racism makes me angry. I was walking through, Becca happened to have Remember the Titans on today, and I'm just watching a bit of those clips. I, I love that movie. Um, by the way, for any of you Enneagram fans, Denzel Washington is an eight, so score one for the eights. Um, that's a different conversation for another day. But I'm watching this, and, and obviously everybody's an actor, but they're portraying the times. And they're saying hateful, racist, just it's just, it, it, I don't have words for it. Ugly, terrible things about Denzel's character, Coach Boone. The way he's treated and spoken to and spoken about, even watching that, having grown up in, in a city where there were a ton of, of minorities, and I, like, it lit me up then. I felt myself viscerally getting angry at the racism I saw on my TV. Maybe TVs are too real and I need to back away. But those sort of things can make us angry. But getting angry and deciding I'm so frustrated or whatever that I get to go and do whatever I want because it kicks the can down the road isn't okay. Sometimes I'm angry because I don't feel understood by like, I'm trying to help my kids and for the life of them, they don't see how brilliant and wise I am. That's why I posted that thing about uh, understanding why Yoda, after like <laughs> listening to all of Luke's questions, just laid down and died because he was tired of Luke's <laughs> questions, right? We experience these things. So what I really believe in detoxing our body is is we're going to heal it. Detoxing is really healing, right? That's what salvation is about, is an ongoing healing process. Is healing by hearing and by hearing what our body is saying to us. Because to be honest, all of the sin management stuff has been tried. It's all behavior modification, and that's fine, and that's good. It's a great place to start, 
Nothing against that. I had to study it in college and, and all those things, and it's great. But if that's all you ever do, you never get to the healing part of what's really wrong in someone's life or in your life. <coughs> if you treat the symptoms and not the illness, that person never gets better. They're, I mean, I mean, big pharma and different people, they would love for you to keep just treating the symptoms. They make money. But we all know, we're all like, can I get this, this, this? I need to be healed. I don't need the symptoms to go away. But isn't that what we do so often? We make the symptoms go away when we give into whatever our, our lust is, our, our binge watching of maybe it's Netflix, maybe it's porn, maybe I'm binge drinking, maybe I'm getting into whatever else it is. Maybe I'm reentering damaging, harmful relationships because then that takes the focus off of my thing and my hurt because I get to focus externally on something. And that's why I always have to have something going on and music playing because it drowns out the sound of Christ saying, I'd really like to deal with this part of you that's damaged and broken if you'll just let me. It's going to hurt. But on the other side of this is peace. On the other side of this is freedom. On the other side of this is that bright tomorrow that you've been holding on to for so long. And instead, we opt for something that gives us few minutes of distraction. So I'm going to, let's see. Okay, cool. Um, I'm going to talk about a couple of verses uh, that I believe lay out the, the way in which we are meant to live, the benefits from living that way physically within our bodies, things that, that Christ has said about us. And then I'm going to talk through three practices. Um, I love practicality. Uh, if I can't walk out the door and use it, then it was useless. Like <laughs> Ideas are fun to talk about, but as a, as a pastor I listened to said, one time he goes, information without application equals no transformation. We have to apply this. And I hope that you are, and I hope that you have, because there's been a challenge almost each and every week for you to live something out over the next seven days to start walking towards it. You're not going to leap. Take a step. Build it up. The first um, place that we're going to look is going to be in Second Corinthians 4. Which, let me pull up ye old Bible app. Um, and search. So, oh, hey, this, wow, that's weird. It popped up. It's like the Bible app is listening to me too. Man, that's creepy. Um, search. It didn't want to do that for me. There we go. Four. And we're going to read 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. 
always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Time and time again, Christ and, and through Paul, Christ again, promising hardship, despair, um, or not despair, but we're, we're pressed into that place, but not given to it. Um, in verse 10 is where I would hover, that we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. We are to put to death those things in our body that are waging war because life is promised. Right now, there's some things, um, life growing up, um, I was, uh, I'm a small kid, I'm still not very large, but was very short, very small, easy to pick on, um, and was bullied pretty intensely through middle school. Um, at school, uh, in soccer, because uh, I was one of the only white kids on the team, so that you know that was fun, um, and got picked on quite a bit there. And then even in my church youth group, um, you know, received a lot of pushback and and bullying type uh, behavior. It sucked. It felt isolating. And and so one of the things over time I started to learn is like, you know what? Um, this hurts a whole lot less if I just shut off that part of myself. If I choose not to feel. Or maybe I can choose this. Maybe I can choose to be the funny guy. If I make people laugh, they're not picking on me. If my wit's a little quicker than theirs, then they'll leave me alone for fear that I'm going to turn around and make some quip about them and make them look foolish. It became my defense mechanism. Now, I still really enjoy making people laugh and doing goofy things. You've seen me on Sundays. I'm up there dancing to Kanye. I'm doing different things. I'm having a blast. But the motivation on my heart is not, oh, dear God, I hope nobody says something mean and rude to me. Not that I want to bring it on, but... The thing I'm learning now over the last year that's kicked me in the teeth <laughs> um, is that if I'll start to peel back those things and really let God address the trauma in my life from those things, from um, being adopted and never meeting my, my birth father, so feeling rejected by half of the people who created me, <laughs> Um, from the engagement that was violent and volatile towards me and her. She had her own demons. She worked them out on me, and we had to separate. I, I've just gone from thing to thing, and I was like, this is hard. It'll be easier for me if I find something to distract me or I just choose not to feel. And now that I'm, I'm discovering new things and I'm in better, more intimate friendships with people like Matt, like RJ, like Roger and others, that I can start to open up and say, this thing hurts me. This thing scares me. This thing sucks. And I'm being vulnerable and transparent, praying to God that they don't say something that triggers me and, and I collapse back because it's easier to, for me to carry my armor just like it's easier for you to pick up whatever armor it is that you carry and say, no, 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 not getting in here. 
but the voice I keep hearing from God is, put the armor down, I've got you. And what that has done is produced pain in my body, exhaustion in my body. And there's times I want to say, God, I give up. Like, seriously, I don't think whatever, whenever we're done with this, this is not going to be worth it. And he keeps saying, just keep trusting me. What is that thing for you? What is the armor that you have held up? What are you carrying around? What has become so comfortable to wear that honestly to put it down feels uncomfortable and not right? Like taking a shower with your socks on, as Pastor Corey used to say. Something just don't feel right. Not wearing my armor doesn't feel right. And it's producing things in my body that make me feel uncomfortable. And I would love to put on my personality because I've been really successful with my personality. But I am realizing that there is no way that I can be who I'm called to be to my wife, to my kids, to however many foster children come in, to my friends, to my church, to my pastors. I can't get where God has called me if I keep living off my personality instead of the God-given design He put in me. So when we detox our bodies and we listen, it's telling us something. Something's not right. It's an early warning system. We, we've gone away from say, saying that, you know, uh, uh, feelings don't get a vote. We need to listen to them, but they do not get the final say. Listen to them. God gave you those things. God gave you your body. And it will tell you things if you will listen, which is our first practice. Because I got to get going. The first practice is to Listen. If you go about, I work in the world of digital marketing, websites, campaigns, building sophisticated automation, things like if somebody does X, Y, Z, then do one, two, three. But if they do only X and Y, then do seven and eight and all these things. And you're all like, oh my gosh, you're such a nerd. And I was like, yes, I am. And it's, it's working for me. I designed these complex systems, but if I took exactly what a client said to me at face value and just built exactly what they said, I would not be serving them well. That's why I always sit down and do a discovery meeting or call or an exploratory and you say, let's talk about your goals. We're, you're asking for, for this thing and I do want to talk about it. Where is it you think that thing is going to get you? Because there's a level of knowledge I possess in this domain, not in your business's domain, but in my domain, that I can tell you this thing doesn't get you there. And so actually what you need is a variation on that, or maybe not that at all, but a variation on that, and I get to help get you where you want to go. If we're not listening, if we keep trying to treat ourselves with an I'll give this disclaimer. I am all for, for doctors and modern medicine and the advances that we have made. People live longer than they ever have before, even in the face of all the other things that we're doing to our bodies to destroy them as, as a Western culture and, and more and more as a, as a civilized world. But if we aren't stopping to listen to our bodies, and say, man, I'm, 
keep feeling this tension in my back. Growing up during some of those tough times, I was going through a lot of back pain and we thought, oh, it's the arch support in my shoes. And so we switched that out and I kept having, oh, well, let's give him uh, uh, some higher dose painkiller. That didn't do it. Let's give him a muscle relaxer. That didn't do it. It was the extraordinary stress of the relationship I was in and the circumstances I had found myself in to the point where sometimes I, I was immobilized crying on the ground because I just could not take the pain anymore. Last year, even though I was trying to hold things together, I started noticing that I got a little twitch in the corners of my eye during high stress moments. Sometimes I wasn't even aware that it was a high stress moment. I was just having a conversation and we were going over this and that and the other thing, whether at home or work or something else, and I would notice it. And then I started to catch it and say, my eye's twitching. And then it allows me to ask away. What is it I'm stressed about? What have I just heard or experienced or seen that would cause such a high level of stress that my body would have an involuntary reaction to it? What's the thing in your body? What is your body telling you? I guarantee you it's talking to you. It's telling you things. Now, yes, man, I got this old football injury and every time it rains, I know when it's coming three days before. Like, yes, you've had injuries and those sort of things. But there's other things where there really is no rhyme or reason for, for the pain or a twitch or an anomaly in your body. And if you listen, it will tell you things. It's not the end all be all. Don't just treat that. All right, I could have gone to the doctor and said, man, I got this weird eye twitch and people think I'm winking at them and it's getting me into trouble with my wife. Like, you know, those sort of things. No, I, I don't even know if it was noticeable to anybody else but me. But I noticed it and I was like, well, that's kind of weird. I was like, I wonder, if, you know, just got like an eye booger or something like that. But I started noticing it more and more and more. And I started seeing a pattern and I started noticing when did that pattern emerge? Oh, it was in these sort of situations. And it allowed me to take hold of those thoughts, make them captive to Christ. Or in some time, I was like, hey, I, I need to talk to somebody. I need to talk this through. Which one of the things I want to talk about too is, uh, or one of the other examples that became clear to me with the two boys that we got this week, one of them, the older one, six-year-old, um, even from the first day, very quickly, if we were to rest at all at the house, like we were exhausted on, on Saturday, you know, because they had just come in. We had like three hours of sleep. Whether it was there, riding to or from church, I can't remember, or any time we just put on a show for a little bit at the house, very quickly he would fall asleep. And the more I thought about that, it's the first time he felt safe enough to just go to sleep. His body was tired. It was exhausted and from being on high alert, from having the, the chemicals, the norepinephrine and the adrenaline and those sort of things flowing through his body, wore him out. His body said, I'm tired. And thankfully, because he's a child, instead of a confused adult like the rest of us who make up reasons and supplement with caffeine and do all these other things, um, he just said, I'm tired. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to respond to my body. I'm hungry. Well, let's go get you a snack. Let's make sure you're fed. That's one of the things they teach us in foster training is, is protein, snacks, and water for hydration. 
there's a lot within a child's behavior that can be solved through making sure that they're properly nourished and properly hydrated. And I would tell you the same thing. If you're not getting sleep, sleep resets your body. You absolutely have to have it. Don't tell me, well, I sleep on three hours. Shut up. Science is against you. <laughs> Get sleep. Hydrate yourself. And don't eat a bunch of crap. Okay? Most of you do not break rocks with other rocks. You make a living with your mind. You know, take care of your mind as well. Those things help. But I guarantee you, if you take care of those things, you have a shot at the fight. And I'm going to tell you, I'm more given to give in to my anger, to lust, to, you know, just fits of rage and spewing on people if I have not taken care of my sleep, my hydration, or my nutrition. You want an easy way to stay in the fight and not be ticked at yourself the next morning about what you did last night or the day before? Take care of those things. One of the things, and this I found interesting, I just uh, finished my uh, second book of the year. I'm a little behind on my schedule, but I'm feeling good. Woohoo! Um, was Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. And she included a story from an Air Force, um, I want to say like a commander or colonel, I forgot the rank. But using some of Brene's work and her authority to manage groups and, and get some feedback started to find out that a lot of people who said like, man, we're moving too fast, Commander. Like, we need to slow down. We need to do this. And she had read some of Brene's work and she said, I got, how many of you feel exhausted? And almost every hand went up. And then she remembered Brene's work had linked the, the feeling and what people reported as exhaustion was actually loneliness. That blew my stinking mind almost wrecked my truck. Um, <laughs> when I heard it, it was just, I was like, what? And she said, how many of you were lonely? And almost the same number of hands went up. They understood their mission. They understood the vision and the values of the organization, but what they were experiencing was extreme loneliness in the work that was hard work. Listen to your body. Are you exhausted? You may need sleep. You may also be lonely. And we don't like to use that word. But it's a reason why here at New Covenant Church, we talk about connecting with others and creating community. And I spoke to the serving teams this, this past Sunday, and one of the other things that got surfaced in Brene's work is that connection is actually what drives back um, shame. So we can energize people and help drive out the shame from the, that the enemy is lying to them about simply by connecting with others. It's not something cool that we're just trying to put on a screen. It's life-altering, and in some cases, life-saving. Which takes me to the next one, identify. Identify is the next point, or practice. Renee had something that she called a stormy rough draft. There was another version of that, but I can't say it because we're in church. But there's identified the stormy rough draft. It comes from a writer who had documented her writing process and said, I always have to write something really crappy first. And then I start churning through it and I get to the good story, the things that produce, the things that sell, the things that are nourishing you know, and fulfilling for me. But what we do is we all have rough drafts, stormy rough drafts. 
of the conversation we had earlier today at work. The passing comment our spouse said last night. Something our kids said. Something our pastors did. Probably Chris. Mm -hmm. And man, I, I was convicted in the best way because there was stuff from being tired and everything. I had some stormy, rough drafts about conversations I had been having where in my head I had made up, this person's against me. This person is out for their own thing. They want to do what they want to do no matter what I want or what I say or what wisdom or experience I want to offer. They don't value me. They don't respect me. And probably 11 times out of 10, I'm wrong. Just ask my wife. Um, I, I want you to think about that stormy, rough draft. What are some of those that you're writing in your head? Because here's what you have to do. You have to confront it, and there's two ways. So if you're going to confront the reality of that rough draft, you either have to do it by yourself, and by doing that, write it out. Get it out of your head, down on paper, or digital, or type it out, whatever. Read over it. Read it out loud. If you feel like, oh my goodness, I am a ridiculous human being who made up the most ridiculous story, if you can do that before you re-engage with that person, you may have just saved a relationship. You may have earned some trust. You stopped yourself. Your body said, whoop, armor's up, ego. I'm making up this story. This person is horrible. They're out to get me. The ego makes up stories to protect us from pain. That's kind of its job. And we have to say, hey, 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 hey. This person didn't have to get me. This person loves me. This person is for me. This person respects me. This person has a track record of years and years and years of very supportive actions. Why would they, why would I believe this other thing that's so contrary to what I know is real? My narrative is not more real than what has already happened. The other thing, share it with a trusted person. I had to do that not too long ago. I had worked up something. I was ticked off to no end. I called a couple of people and said, I said this, they said that. That person needs to be punched in the face and they don't respect me and this is going wrong. All of this is going to hell in a handbasket. Like, I mean, the sky was falling for me. And I said... Tell me, am I crazy? Am I reading this wrong? Because I was dead set on, I pegged the emotion and the intent of this conversation dead on. And both of those men of God said, you're wrong. This is what I believe the intent is. Here's where I think your biases are. And while I know that, and I don't diminish what you're feeling right now, if you move forward with this, it will be damaging. Let me pray for you. I didn't respond. And I was able to re-engage that person a day later in a healthy, calm, respectful manner. I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. That's like once out of the last 32 years, okay? So don't get too impressed. <laughs> but it's something that I learned. I was like, oh my gosh, that was life-giving. 
Here's the final thing, breathe. There's a lot of things I wanted to say around calm and breathe. Um, there's something that um, uh, yoga practitioners practice called box breathing. Um, actually, the, the special forces also practices this. They call it tactical breathing. It's a certain rhythm of inhale, hold, exhale, hold. And it's four seconds in, hold that breath for four seconds, four seconds out, hold that for four seconds, and repeat. And not to freak you out, but before we break into groups, we're going to do that. I've done meditation off and on using the, the Headspace app, and I found that at times when I would do that and I would get quiet enough to listen, I'd listen to my body. Was there any tension there? I heard the Holy Spirit talk to me. Was there anything going on there? I was able to enter whatever my next thing was because I kind of go like, uh, if there's a, a knob, it, th this one goes to 11. Like I'm full on. I'm, I'm all in or all out. But I'm learning that I need to, in different moments of starting or transition, I have to calm down. There's times when you've been worn out at the end of your day that those of you that, that have children, um, where you're like, oh, my sweet Jesus, can you, why at bedtime do you turn into a dehydrated philosopher? Like, why is this, why are you asking questions and suddenly need more water than is humanly reasonable? The times in which I've even been able to go, and then stand up and go greet what they had, the outcome was better. I didn't feel like a crappy parent when I walked out of the room because I get, just got finished yelling at them and running over them. I connected with their hearts and their needs. And even if I set some firm boundaries, and even if I had to give some sort of discipline of losing Xbox or a blanket, you know, real end of the world stuff. Um, I, report me, man. Yeah, going straight to, I hope CPS is listening. No, Um I felt so much better. I felt like, man, I just, I don't feel like this often, but I just felt like I got being a dad right. I was a good dad today. And it's those little wins that can mean so much. And all it took was a breath. I listened. I felt, because my, and one thing for me, I've always felt my body very intensely. Like if something's wrong, I'm, I'm, feeling it viscerally. I'll feel like my, if I felt so angry, I felt like my blood was on fire. Um, like even Pastor Sam, first time he met me and he was, you know, hugging me and praying over me. I was like, who's this guy in a Hawaiian shirt praying over me? Um, and he was like, there's a fire shut up in your bones. I was like, oh my gosh, that's how I feel. Like I just feel intensely. But taking a breath, taking a beat, and then interacting with the situation, I was able to make that transition from the body to the spirit and back out again. And the outcome was 10 to 100 times better. The last thing that I want to encourage you to, this isn't a breathe thing, but it does have some cool effects. And there's even a, a book about it called, uh, I think, 10% Happier that documents the science of this, but is gratitude. Gratitude pushes back so much. It's one of the reasons why 
Um, you know, one of the recommendations on here in the author interview that I've applied now to my kids is every morning on our way to school, each kid says three things that they're thankful for. We call it thankful things. I know I'm real creative. Um, and they have to mix it up. But do you know, sometimes I hear the most beautiful things come out of their mouths and their hearts. Most of you know that we went through a very rough season with the, the passing of my mother-in-law after her battle with ALS. And even though that was hard and it was tough and our kids cried and we cried and held each other and hugged, the next school day after she passed, they said, I'm glad grandma's in heaven and not in pain anymore. And they still, even this month, that's still like number one on top of the charts that they're thankful for is, I'm thankful grandma is in heaven. They have that mental picture of their grandmother who loved them dearly, more than her own life, that she is in heaven. I get to hear that every morning, and it's a huge blessing. They're thankful for their teachers. They're thankful that they'll say, I'm thankful for donuts. And I was like, "Mm, that's a weird one, but okay. Uh, Sometimes they'll pull something from science class. I'm thankful that there are trees, so we have oxygen. Like, can we be thankful for that? We have trees out there, photosynthesis. Um, It's just like simonin. Um, (laughs) But that act of gratitude every day actually neurologically will rewire your brain in the way in which you perceive the world. Three things a day. Here's my questions. I know we're running short here, but these questions I don't think will take us very long. Um, I want to read these off, and then I want people in groups of four, no more than five, please, because that'll help kind of keep speed, and everybody will get a chance to vocalize, Um, even those of you who like to hide. I'm not looking at you. Um, First one, and they all relate to the practices. If you were to really listen to your body, what is it telling you? Number, (laughs) Number two, what is one, and I wrote the abbreviation, and I'm glad I took a pause, so I read the correct version. I, what is one stormy, oh my goodness, stormy, rough draft you need to confront this week? If you tell me you have none, I will call you a liar. Number three, what are three things you're grateful for this week? I'd really like it if everybody would answer that. I know that's kind of like low barrier to entry, so you don't have to like share your deepest, darkest things. It's three things you're really grateful for this week. So if in groups of four to five, and if it helps, did, would, did enough people write those down or would you like them on the board? Can you clarify number two a little bit more? The what is one uh, stormy rough draft you need to confront this week? Yeah, you can listen to it on the podcast and go back over it, and, and that'll be great. So here, uh, Stormy Rough Draft. Uh, my, my wife asked me to do such and such and such, even though that's her responsibility. In my head, she doesn't value my time and somehow thinks she doesn't have to carry her end of it. That's a rough draft. It's not reality, but it's a, it's a stormy rough draft. It's an incorrect narrative about a situation or conversation. Hey, I hope that you got a lot of practical information out of that teaching. 
I had a blast teaching it myself and uh, it was applicable to me. And it's something I'm still reflecting back on weeks after teaching it. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, recently I was talking with my son about some anxiety before big games and things like that. He plays club soccer. And we started talking about the box breathing and going over that practice with him to try to settle his nerves. I told him his body is just amping up for the competition and that's natural and it's fine and it's good, but we can bring ourselves down into a more calm state after listening to that. So I hope that you answered those questions. If you don't have somebody to answer them with you, Writing them down is really, really powerful. Either way, I hope that you make progress and that you're continuing to grow. Remember, we're better when we rise together. Until next time, keep rising.